Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Last week, we continued our conversation on time, but we parked the part two of the episode from two weeks ago, which is around hyperfocus. So today we're coming back to that time transitions and hyperfocus, and we're going to talk specifically about the hyperfocus piece. So Cam, we're getting to your promised part two. So your part yeah. one isn't hanging out there by itself. So do you want to set us up around hyperfocus today? Sure. So I think that the title might be something different in the sense that really the focus here is on hyperfocus. But when we look at hyperfocus, we want to look at it in terms of time and in terms of transitions. And what I mean by transitions is effective transitions that at its core, ADHD is a challenge around making timely transitions and all the different ways that, that can manifest. Hyperfocus is uh, something that is an experience that those of us with ADHD know very well. And um, it can be very positive. We can crush things and get things done, but also it can get us into a little bit of trouble where we uh, blow through a, an appointment or miss an opportunity because we are locked in, right? We are locked in to our task. Yeah. And oftentimes I find that my clients, when they first come to coaching, they don't necessarily see the downsides, right? They have all of this sort of powerful language around hyperfocus. It's my superpower. I'm in the zone. When I'm in the zone, I can do anything. And, and, and they will ask often, you know, how can I get, you're going to help me get more of this stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, where can I get more of this? It's like, where, where <laughs> they found the Holy Grail and it's like, now how do I tap into this? Right. How do I go from Clark Kent to Superman on oh, demand yeah. and on tap demand. into that superpower? <laughs> right. Well, then that's the, that's sort of the appealing thing about it is that it can have a Superman or uh, a Xena warrior princess or Wonder Woman experience. Like we just feel like we can crush. And we do, right? It's this sort of almost like uh, hyper productivity, hyper or just this creative state and intense focus that is just, there's nothing that beats it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what it is and also what it isn't. I think that there's a lot of other stuff out there that is uh, related Right, like uh, flow state is is something that we're going to bring in because uh, a lot of people will compare it or think that hyperfocus is flow state, and so distinguishing those, what's out there, and then really talk about our experiences with it, how it can manifest, and then how we can better leverage this superpower. As opposed to, I think that, I think I would say the biggest dilemma is the lack of control. Once we start, it's very difficult to stop or manage or pivot. And so how do you go ahead and use this as a resource, but not be beholden to it and, and all the challenges that can go with it? Yeah. And even before we start being at choice, because for as many times as we hyper-focus on something relevant and timely, 
We can also hyper-focus on something that's maybe relevant, but not timely, or even worse, something that isn't relevant at all, and therefore is not timely. Yeah, so let's start there. With uh, Basically, we talked about this before we started, the sort of the three categories of the manifestation. So manifestation, remember, um, and we're going to bring back our, our model of cause and effect. We're down low in the, in the areas of effect and manifestation and how it shows up. And the three ways that Shelly and I were discussing were, number one, it's like you won the lottery, you've got the winning ticket, and it's like you're playing roulette and the ball falls into the right slot. And so going back to the episode where we brought on these, these six areas, to look at with respect to task inertia. If it's something that's interesting, it's something that's relevant, something that's fun. So relevant meaning Q2, right? It matters. It's also timely. And you just lock in and you tap into this elixir. And it's just like, ah, there it is. Here we go. And it's off to the races. And we crush. Yeah. And it's like we've won lottery. Yeah, I had an experience like that last weekend. My husband moved a bookcase per my request into my office. And my office had needed some amount of organizing and cleaning out. It was becoming a frustrating place to work in. I had a lot of supplies and things that I just don't need anymore because I don't do hands-on professional organizing work anymore. And that moving of the bookcase was a catalyst. And I got really motivated. I put on some good tunes and I spent all day reorganizing my office. And it feels amazing. But I think it's important to point out that I was at choice. Before I sort of lit the rocket, right? I had the catalyst, right? But before I put that catalyst to my rocket car of hyperfocus... I stopped for a moment and evaluated what else was on my agenda for today. And I made a decision to harness that hyper-focus before I dove in. And after Cam describes the next category, um, we'll kind of talk about what it looks like when you're not at choice, even if something is relevant. And as I'm listening to what you're saying there, Shelley, I would almost make an argument that you might have been more in flow state than hyper-focus there. Not to challenge you there but because again back to the idea of a winning lottery ticket it's there's a high element of chance it's not planned so this you're giving an example where it was there was a bit of a choice point and planning right it's sort of like you decided okay here's the salt flat that i'm going to race my rocket car on i know the dimensions of it i know the time frame i have and you kind of lit the rocket and went so there was an element of control there. And there may have been more of hyper-focus than flow state. I think that this is where people get a little caught up into what is it, what it is and what it isn't. I don't think it really matters. What really matters is, is it working for you? And there, it's working for you. I can't tell you how many times that over the years where I am waiting for this elixir to kick in, as I was joking before the episode today, I have an advanced degree in hyperfocus. I used it well and not so well in my six years of undergrad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's this sort of anxiety of like, will it kick in? Not of choice, but it's just sort of like hoping that 
all these things line up, that my hyperfocus comes online for this paper that I have to write and I have four hours left. And so when we get painted into a corner and things become absolutely Q1, and then we light up that arc from, I think it was episode six, maybe, adrenaline response cycle. To get that adrenaline response cycle, that kicks us into hyperfocus. Light the rocket, and then it's off to the races. But there's this sort of a high element or high degree of chance to get there. And that is, uh, I think, a, a high characteristic of what we're calling hyperfocus. I think you're kind of an advanced user of hyperfocus where you've learned to, okay, right, steer it, direct it, and utilize it. And the negative aspects are not as great as they used to be. And I think that's my experience too. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I would say that that's true. So the bookcase was kind of chance. We switched which bedroom my daughter is in and this bookcase was a leftover and I thought I might want it in here. So I mentioned it to my husband and my husband being a very sequential, very neurotypical, very highly motivated doer just did it right then. So my mention was a, hmm, I think that that bookcase might work in my office here. I'd like to try that. The next thing you know, it's here. So there was a bit of chance. But certainly in the past, I might have dove in without being a choice, which in this case might have been okay. In other cases, not so much. So that's that kind of weighing of options, right? Or weighing, weighing of your choices of like, what happens if I dive in here? Yeah. Consider that and coming back to this, how relevant awareness is, right? Being aware in the moment. Is this a good use of this right now? So there's the lottery ticket one example. On the flip side is the rabbit hole. I think this is where hyperfocus is different from flow state is that we can get locked into an activity that may be interesting. It may be fun, but it's not relevant. So back to our six areas. And so we get sucked into a rabbit hole or like an Alice in Wonderland time experience where we go in with one intention and then click, 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 three clicks, and we're just off and looking at something and three hours go by. It's like, what was that? Well, that's hyper-focused too. Yeah, Cam, I imagine in the past, your prolific idea generator often dragged you down these rabbit holes, right? You start on task A and boop, there's the idea generator and all of a sudden, hard lefts. Yeah, it was, it was again, chasing, I call it chasing stims, chasing the biggest signal. And remember, it was that idea generator coupled with my lack of understanding of completion. Yeah. Of how long it took to actually, if I commit to something, that it takes time, energy, and attention to make that happen. Yeah, so, so you were doing a lot of focused work, but you weren't completing but always starting in a new direction, right? So when people talk about the, the tangent, taking a tangent, this is again how we get off on a tangent. People are like, well, uh, I went off on a tangent. And why didn't you get back? It was because of that hyper-focus of locking in and you're getting your immediate needs met. The brain loves this because it's getting its basic needs met. And yet here we are off going in a direction that we need not be going. 
There was a third example we talked about. So there was the, the lottery ticket in the sense of when all things line up and it works, it's relevant, it's interesting, it's fun, and we're off to the races. And it's timely. It's And it's timely. Thank you so much. Then there's the rabbit hole where we get sucked into the Alice in Wonderland moment and time disappears. We're working on something that is maybe fun and interesting, but it's not relevant. And it's definitely not timely. What's the third one that you brought up? So the third one is things that are relevant, but maybe aren't timely. They're relevant, but they're not for now. And the immediate example that comes to mind for me, and I talked about this in one of our early episodes, was when my grandmother died. When she died, she was living with my aunt and uncle in Atlanta, but she wanted to be buried in Michigan next to my grandfather. So there was a time delay between the time that she passed and the time that it was time to take the family trip to Michigan for the funeral. And in that week and a half or two weeks, I all of a sudden got bit by an organizing bug. And Cam, I would wake up at 6 or 7 a.m. and shoot out of bed. And I am not a morning person. I am not a person that hits the ground running at all in the morning. But for these two weeks, I would. And from the time I got up until some insane hour in the morning, I was organizing. I was downsizing. I was taking stuff to Goodwill. And here's the thing is that stuff is important. So as a professional organizer, I can tell you that if you are not parting with items, items are going to keep coming in and you're eventually going to have a space challenge. So this is important and relevant work, but it wasn't timely. I completely parked my business for that two weeks on the heels of going out of town for another week. I wasn't dealing with my grief and other things that needed to be addressed. And I let a lot of just the little things of daily life, like paying bills and keeping up on email and you know stuff that's important to stay on top of just completely go to the point that when I got back in town, it felt like I had a mountain to dig myself out of. So there's that third category of it's, it's relevant, but it's not necessarily timely. There was a real cost right. in terms of spending that time the way that I did. And I think that that's a good example to run through our cause and effect metaphor when we get there. And let's come back to that because, as you said, there's other factors at play. It's not just hyper-focus. As you said, it's avoiding the complex emotional processing there. Yeah. Yeah, that right? was completely rooted in avoidance. So I want to go to like where we see hyper-focus out in, in the media just to kind of bring context to what we're talking about because it's out there. And we see it in different forms. So I want to go there and then we're going to come back to our, you know, running some stuff through our metaphor. I'm just thinking about other examples of hyperfocus. So I've, I've been working with Melissa Orloff and, and helping her out run a, uh, a, a habit class as a follow up to her couple seminar. And she tells a story about in her book, ADHD and marriage is how her husband for the first two years of their marriage and dating was hyperfocus. He was hyperfocused on their relationship. And it was during that courtship and the honeymoon period, the first two years, he was engaged, hyperfocused. So it doesn't have to be like this, you know, singular event. It can span over a period of time. 
And it reminded me of my own early romantic experiences where for three months, I would be the best boyfriend, the best, <laughs> like engaged and like, you know, attending. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, it was like month four, day two, flip a switch. It was just like click. And, 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 and it was like, where'd that guy go? Right. Yeah. Where did that guy go? And I want that guy back. And well, that guy, he was gone. And talk about how is that interpreted? I mean, harsh, like completely harsh. And I didn't know it. I didn't know how harsh that was. My wife, we courted on a sailboat. And that's where, and I, and Cam on a sailboat, talk about, talk about hyper focus, but that's flow state for me. Locked in captain of the ship. And it's like, whoa, that's that dude. I want to marry that guy. I want that guy. I want that guy to be the captain of my ship. Well, two years after we get started, I'm like gone. The hyper focus and the attending is just, it's like just taken offline. So much like Melissa's experience with her husband of struggle and trying to figure out what's going on, because we didn't know about ADHD. We had no idea, either of us. It was like, where'd that guy go? So hyperfocus can manifest in so many different ways. Right? It can be around a task, uh, but it can kind of stand in, and show up in relationships too. So it's really fascinating to, before you start to try to manage it like Shelly does now, is to really notice it showing up and how it shows up in your life. And I'll add to your story with your spouse, For us, our first couple of years of marriage, I was a very meticulous keeper of the house. And I don't just mean in terms of keeping it clean, although that was part of it. I ran the house and I did the majority of what needed to be done to keep our house running smoothly. And we also did not know that I had ADHD. So when we moved and all of my routines were thrown off kilter, I lost that and I never got it back. And it was like, what the heck? (laughs) How did I go from this person who is this amazing household manager to a person who can't even activate to clean a bathroom? What the, what the heck? So there's that big question mark and then fill in the blank with, Oh, they're no longer committed to this relationship and all kinds of things can happen there. The, the cost for us was, you know, we came to a point at year seven that we were deciding whether to stay together or not. Well, fast forward, we have two kids and we're on year 26. Woohoo. Woohoo. So let's go to sort of where we see hyperfocus and I, I, I call it pop culture uh, or just out there in the media people are talking about. And there's sort of three different places that I've seen it. And I think that in the ways they're talking about hyperfocus, and uh, but there's no mention of ADHD, so it's kind of fascinating that you, where you see it out there. And I think that what would be really interesting is doing some research, minimal, um, but but looking for like brain imagery of someone on hyperfocus. I couldn't find anything. So listeners, if you've got some resources there, you know, send it our way because I think it'd be really fascinating to see see this with the advent of brain scanning. 
you know, to get a sense of what this is and how it's different from things like flow state. I don't think it's the same thing. So let's just go run through these three different camps. And one is uh, Tim Urban, who has the very popular blog of Wait But Why. So Tim Urban, Wait But Why. And he kind of slow cooks these blogs, like really slow cooks them. And they're just like just volumes of work. So he did a very popular series of blogs on procrastination and talks about, you know, in our brain, we have this rational decision maker who's steering the boat and there's the instant gratification monkey. Okay. So instant gratification monkey. What is that? That's, that's ADHD. <laughs> Some of us have a, a little troop of monkeys, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, that monkey has more of a say. And so where is that ADHD line there? Because procrastination is a challenge with respect to having ADHD. So there's the rational decision maker and the instant gratification monkey kind of grappling for this steering wheel to steer toward the thing that's going to be rewarding over the horizon and delayed gratification versus let's go here. I want to go, I want to do this, right? The impulsivity piece. And then you get to a point where when, when the urgency goes up, the relevance goes up and the panic monster comes in. And scares monster the monkey away. Scares the monkey away. And what does this induce? It's going to induce a hyper-focused state. Getting into that fight-flight center, getting the arc going, the adrenaline response cycle, adrenaline that allows for more dopamine, more focus, things become clear, and you can start to crush. But it can come at this great cost. That was my experience. Was I knew I had this hyper-focus ability. But it was kind of like, it just was like, when is it going to kick in? When is it going to kick in? Please, it should kick in now. I really need it now. Now, hello, you know, knock, 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 hello. And it not coming until, you know, again, it would eventually come. Often so, at the 11th hour, right? <laughs> yeah, 11, <laughs> 11.58, you know, for me. So there's Tim Urban. You know, he talks about, again, the hyper-focus experience through this panic monster. There's Cal Newport who has a book called Deep Work and just the, the idea of deep work and really about how distractions and things are vying for our attention and trying to distract us all the time. So someone to check out there, Cal Newport. And lastly, Stephen Kotler, K-O-T-L-E-R. He is a proponent of flow state. So flow state has been around since the 70s and it came about from a gentleman, I'm going to try his name. I may get it wrong. I actually found on YouTube, there was a guy who was, all he was doing was pronouncing his name. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think others have gotten it wrong too, but the researcher, and, and I believe a psychologist in Czechoslovakia, his name is Mihai, Cheek Sent Mihai, was the name who proposed this idea of flow state. So, and the example that Stephen Kotler goes to is Michael Jordan he had this in the zone moment where they were down in the NBA finals and he came out and just lifted the team and just put in, you know, like six threes in a row. Don't quote me. But again, just lifted the team and carried the team to the win. And he described that as in the zone. And the interesting thing about flow state is it talks about this sort of connection between skill and challenge. There's a balance of skill 
and challenge that you rise to and you get into a flow state. There's another piece there, two other pieces that are relevant that I think distinguish it from hyperfocus. There's an element of planning or strategy. So planning, skill and challenge, and finally, choice, a choice to go in where I think hyperfocus is we want it, but there's less control and you don't have a sense of control. Hence the rocket car. You light it and it goes and it's like, it doesn't matter if you try to apply brakes, it's going to be overpowering. And so where hyperfocus is the rocket car that needs a big stretch of time, flow state is more like the race car on a road course, right? With twists and turns and decelerating and accelerating. Hyperfocus seems to be less discriminating, more of a blunt force and, and less surgical. And that's, that's my opinion. You can argue like, no, 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 you know, hyperfocus is flow. We're not going to go there. We just want to introduce these concepts so you know what's out there. Yeah. And to build on your Michael Jordan example, I will say that I experience flow state when I'm doing public speaking. But that flow state is in part because of my planning and preparation, knowing my material, knowing what I'm going to say having my slides put together, being really familiar with everything in the material, and also with managing my time. I use a visual timer so that I don't have to break my attention while I'm speaking, but I can look and very quickly see how much time I have left and sort of contextualize that with where I'm at at the talk without really breaking my focus. So that's a great example of a flow state that has a finite amount of time. Because if I've been hired to speak for an hour or 90 minutes, it's up to me to manage that time. But I'm still very much in flow state. I'm not unaware of time. Yeah, that's a great example. I think that going back to our time episode about our propensity of overestimating how much time we have. You know, that's what I used to do was for a talk, I'd plan out the timing and say, oh, it's an hour and a half talk, so I'm going to do an hour and 15 minutes of, of <laughs> content, realizing that it, it never, you know, it's always runs over. So through that experience of coming back to, okay, do, you know, half the time content for an hour and a half, 90 minutes, plan for 45 minutes of content, and then recognizing all these different transitions and moments and people have questions. So as you plan, just considering the time element too, I think is relevant. Absolutely, because there are opportunities to expand on points or shorten points as you go along in order to manage time. Yeah. So long as you haven't tried to cram too much in. So I think it's a great opportunity right now to go to our cause and effect metaphor, the slopes of Mount Rainier with causation up on the icy slopes. And then there's the, the deep valleys of effect manifestation. And of course, our lunch counter, that is that barrier that rings Mount Rainier. And so at the lunch counter, you get up and kind of recognize what's the level one symptom here. The level one symptom is hyperfocus to kind of consider, okay, I've got this hyperfocus thing to sit on your stool at the lunch counter and to look back over your shoulder down in the valley of how does it manifest? 
How does it manifest in a positive way when you're able to do Herculean or just you know, crush? But also, what are the costs? How does it get you into trouble? Because we have to understand the cost in order to facilitate effective change. And as we do that, we also want to be looking up slope, up on the other side of the lunch counter, up to causation. I think back to my example, again, the going down the rabbit hole and that prolific idea generator, I think there was some avoidance there too, a lack of prioritization or challenges around prioritization. This thought of, I got plenty of time. I'm just going to veer off and check this out or thinking that this research is going to be relevant. And then bingo, some kind of, with that prolific idea generator is that kind of seeking the, the, the strongest signal, chasing the stem, going and searching out that shiny object for the shiny object searcher device. And then we lock on, remember our arcade claw, we lock on to something that interest and don't let go. And our attender can either show up as either kind of very diffuse and jumping around or lock on. And I think that that's an element of hyperfocus where we just get locked onto something and we don't stop. The rocket car launches. There's that adrenaline. And who wants to stop that? Who wants to stop that? And you bring up a great point, Cam, of looking for what's riding along with hyperfocus at any given time. Avoidance. That was certainly a big factor in my example, was avoiding dealing with weighty emotion. Distraction. And for you, that coupling of symptoms led to cause, sort of figuring out all of the different level one symptoms at play and getting that complete picture by reframing. Not that we're trying to turn a negative into a positive, but we're trying to see the whole picture. This tendency has an upside and a downside. So let's explore both. And that work over time got you to the prolific idea generator, which is at the top, at cause. And that's now something that you can name and work with. So this is work not to do just in the context of hyperfocus, but when you are generating awareness about your hyperfocus, it is so important to notice what else is showing up for you. What else is happening when hyperfocus is happening? And it's going to be different depending upon the instance of hyperfocus. When I was doing my office, I wasn't avoiding. Bringing up the avoidance of complex emotions, I think, is, is really relevant. In ADHD land, we're shifting toward how emotion comes into play and this whole idea of emotional dysregulation. I, I, I want to guess here. You tell me if I'm wrong. But part of that avoidance around your grandma was also not wanting to have that intense emotional response, which is likely to happen with ADHD. Remember, ADHD is a matter of regulation and management. So again, when we, when we have an emotional response, it can be super big or super small. And so we can avoid that. Lots to consider here. I think that as we wrap today, 
how do you want to couch this whole hyper-focus thing? I mean, we're not done with it, shall we? We're certainly not done with it, but what do you think are the big takeaways for our listeners today to consider regarding hyper-focus? So I think there are some opportunities for reflection. So as Cam pointed out, when I talked about sort of harnessing hyper-focus to organize my office, I was at choice first. But that has come from years of practice and experience. So you may not always be at choice right away, and that's okay. But there's an opportunity on the other side to reflect. Was this relevant and timely? Was it neither relevant or timely? Or was it relevant but not timely? And then once you have that answer, you can do your lunch counter work. You know, what else was it play there? Even if it was relevant and timely, it's still worth doing the lunch counter work. What else was at play there that enabled me to harness hyperfocus in a positive way? And if it's one of the less positive outcomes, then what else was at play there that I might be able to notice showing up in the future so that I can come to a place over time where I can be more at choice about whether or not to light the rocket? That was really well said. And I've just sort of imagining folks kind of having this acute awareness of the rabbit hole and like fighting that. It's sort of like a wily e. coyote that sort of got it, you know, just claws and just trying to like, no, I don't want to go down this manhole cover. You know, I don't want to go down the manhole or I don't want to go down this rabbit hole and fighting that. We're all creatures of habit. And so I think the opportunity is to bring out that keen observer of there's the rabbit hole and to notice, not fight it so much, but as you're going in the kind of, okay, what's the draw? What's pulling me in to this? What are my other options here? How can I make it so it's a shorter journey, that it's not this Alice in Wonderland where I lose half the day? But it's like, what can be a quick in and a quick out? Is there a kind of a, is there an exit ramp that I can take here once I'm in? But to, to think about, I go back to my kind of mission impossible metaphor here is think about your exit plan. As you go in, think about what is it, if Ethan Hunt, he's going in, he's going to be thinking about how is he going to get out of this situation? How do we get out? What's our exit strategy for this? But all the while, attending to and paying attention to, again, the manifestation, the cost, the benefit, but also these executive function elements that are contributing or not contributing to make this happen. Certainly one thing that I have done, I, I love to research when I get curious about a topic, that's a big rabbit hole for me or when I'm making a purchase that's a rabbit hole for me so one thing that I will do for those two types of tasks is I will put them in a forced shorter time frame between clients uh-huh. so that there's a gated stopping point and that may or may not work for you I'm not throwing that out there as a solution but as the result of doing my own awareness work around hyperfocus over time, that is one thing that I have done to better manage hyperfocus, especially in the areas of maybe interesting, but maybe not so relevant 
maybe not so timely. So we're not done with hyperfocus, just like we're not done with time. We're not done with transitions. We're going to keep coming back to these because they're relevant and they're relevant all the time. One final thing I'd like to say is really looking at your environment. How does that contribute? You know, I know surgeons who use hyperfocus to do surgery for six hours. I know artists that can kind of have their day available to them at night right, where they don't have a hard deadline and they can really get lost in their work. And so it's really looking at what is the opportunity given your situation and not just to take our word for it or try to mimic what we do. It's to become your own author, um, to, to look and, and play around with these things, try different things out, to be curious and experiment. And when you do that, again, we can elevate our level of interest here, as opposed to this sort of, well, I need more of that, right? I need more, hyper, give me more hyperfocus. I just need more hyperfocus. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about diversifying motivators and developing and back to the rocket car, a second gear. Like, how do you develop a second gear to get started when the rocket won't light? But stepping back and really considering your situation and what works for you. Hyperfocus can be an awesome thing. It can also be a bit of a challenge. And so just noticing and taking it a day at a time. Yeah, gaining that complete picture when it's an aid, when it's not. And Finding other elixirs, which as Cam said, is a topic we'll come back to. Yeah. But for today, we are out of time. So if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can help us out by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen. If you have feedback to share, we are on Twitter at Translating ADHD, or you can visit the website, translatingadhd.com and shoot us an email via the contact form. Until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.